Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts. Our next partner has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a simple all-in-one solution as opposed to the ever-changing variety of supplements I have been taking for as long as I can remember. Sometimes up to three ramekins a day full of pills and powders trying to find the right formula for peak performance. Now that I've been taking Athletic Greens for a few months, I love it and I will never go back. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take one scoop in the morning on an empty stomach and an additional one in the evening when I'm feeling run down. I've seen such a difference in my own performance that I recently ordered additional AG1 for the rest of my family to use. It costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit, and supports better sleep quality and recovery, in addition to mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com contacts. Again, this is athleticgreens.com contacts to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Elroy's Fine Foods, the Uncommon Market. A revival of the community market, promising you an uncommon shopping experience and the finest of groceries and prepared foods. When Chloe and I first envisioned what Elroy's Fine Foods would become, we wanted to build a market that was focused on building community. A beautiful store that not only sells incredible foods, but also prioritizes environmental and social responsibility, and provides the community with a safe space to shop, eat, and hang out. Elroy's Fine Foods is located in Monterey, California, offering the most delicious prepared foods, curated groceries, certified organic produce, a full-service bulk food section, fine cheeses, natural wines, local beers, and humanely raised meats and sustainably caught seafood. Elroy's Fine Foods, the Uncommon Market, 15 Soledad Drive, Monterey, California. Welcome to the Contacts Coaching Podcast, dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. 
In addition to sport-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Clem. Welcome back to the Contacts Coaching Podcast. We are joined today by Jacob Rivers, man of many hats at the Viewpoint School, football coach, basketball coach, track coach, director of DEI, 11th grade dean, you name it, he does it. Jacob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. To talk to you. So let's dive into your background. So the audience has some semblance of what we're going to talk about. But if you could take us through your background in athletics in general, how did you get into coaching, right? How did you get into sports? How has that influenced your professional career? Yeah. So sports has always been a huge part of my life, partially because I've always latched on to competition. I like meritocracies. I like the fact that I can be better at something than somebody else. I like the cleanness of that. And I've latched on to sports all my life. I played everything that you can name just because I loved it. Up until the point where sports was the reason why I started getting to some of the schools that I got into. I went from public school to private school in high school because I was a football player. I got into the college that I got into because I was being recruited as a football player. And honestly, my mindset was such that if it weren't for football, I was going to go into the military coming out of high school. So going into college, I really saw myself as an athlete student more than anything else. And it was one of those things where in the back of my mind, I was always thinking that I have to finish playing football because if I don't, then they're going to find a reason to kick me out of the school. Some of that was real. Some of that was in my own head. But ultimately, I came to that that come to Jesus moment that we all have where 99% of us realize that we're not going professional and dealing with that and just reconciling with my relationship with sports and how much I had depended on it, how much it was a crutch for me at certain times, how it led to define me was a, was a huge turning point for me. Coming out of college, I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to keep playing if I could. I liked being around kids. I was a, a summer camp counselor in all the summers of of my um, college career because it let me stay on campus so I could keep working out. And so I found this boarding school where lo and behold, the triple threat model is teach, coach, and advise. I can coach because I I could play. I could advise because I, I don't mind being around kids and that teaching thing, I don't know what it is, but I'll figure it out. And so I signed up to go to the boarding school and that was where I started coaching three seasons, teaching a full load of classes and having my advisees and, and learning that kind of professional realm. And then it was after I had gotten thrown into the fire of teaching that I really started to own my identity as an academic, right? Own my intelligence as a student in a way that I never really gave myself leeway to as an athlete. And from there, it, it just grew. And it was funny because the marriage of student and athlete isn't the same in the professional world as teacher coach. So once I left that, that boarding school, it wasn't normal for a teacher to want to coach, for an administrator to want to coach and to really push to do that. And I could never really stay off the field. If I wasn't officially coaching that season, I would just be hanging around or I would be doing my own workout and then the team would come and they'd be like, oh, Mr. Rose, what are you doing? Um, 
And so sports has always been this kind of uh, consistent theme throughout my life. And in fact, since I was five, there's only been one fall that I wasn't directly attached to a football team. And that fall, I was like, <laughs> I was lost. I was just drifting. I had all this time I didn't know what to do with. I was like free on Saturdays. But yeah, sports has always been a big part for me. That's a lot. And what I mean by that is for people that are listening that are not familiar with the boarding school model, you mentioned the triple threat of advice, teaching coach, which you left out was working in the dorms which is a tall other beast on top of that, which I jokingly refer to as your part-time job to pay the rent after you do your full-time job, which is teaching and coaching and advising and whatever else mm -hmm. uh, they ask you to do, also known as other duties as assigned by the head of school <laughs> in your contract. But that's neither here nor there. What I would love to dig into was your comment that I was an athlete student. Yeah. And then once I started coaching and teaching, I was finally able to embrace myself as an academic. We often run into a handful of our students in schools like ours that definitely fit the athlete student model. And it's often uh, a journey before they graduate to get them to be a student athlete. And I find myself often uh, with parents who are very concerned about their academic progress where I describe them right now. Jimmy is a athlete student and he will eventually be a student athlete as long as we stay the course and keep him involved. What have you found in your experience throughout all of your stops that sports has done to help with that shift rather than to hinder that shift in making academics a priority? I think when we recenter athletes around something real, they level up their athletic performance, their academic performance, their personal performance. You can see athletes who do this just in the attitude that they approach the sport with, how they show up on days that they don't have to, how they go hard and practice just consistently because it means something differently to them. So what I mean by all that is sports can be this jumping point as long as it's in your mind the right way. So when I identified myself as an athlete student and what I see far too often, and, and part of this, just to take it a layer deeper than you even gave me, part of this is a racial dynamic that I felt more than I understood because I have a, a, a stereotypical background in a certain sense in that I grew up in a rough part of town. I, I grew up in Bedside, Brooklyn. I went to public schools. I hung out on, on the streets like I was there, but sports was a way forward for me and a way out in, in a lot of sense. I always thought of walking across the draft stage, shaking the commissioner's hand or whatever, getting this first check that would allow me to pay a whole bunch of things that, that needed to be paid by my mom and house, all, the, all those different kinds of things. So all that to say, I think a lot of times as athletes, we define ourselves as our performance in the sport because that's where we get the most direct feedback. And that's where we have the most tangible way forward, the most tangible path to whatever success that we're chasing, which is sometimes a big pot of gold, which is sometimes just an image that we don't really understand. It's just something that we're chasing for the sake of success, power, all those things. And because academics, it's a lot harder to see those steps forward. It's pushed to the side in, in, in favor of what I can see. So when you ask what has sports done to help that, I think I've had, 
honestly not many, but I've had one or two coaches that were able to tell me like, Hey, your focus is wrong here. You got to shift your focus here. And honestly, I ran into those people a little bit too late because in my mind, the recruiting process was one thing I found out that it is not. I thought it was this true meritocracy when in a lot of cases it is not. And it's, it's the, the relationships that I had with specific coaches who were able to break through to me that kind of fundamentally shifted how I saw certain things that helped me with owning that academic side of myself. Yeah, let's dig into that for a second since you brought it up. And the specific of I thought recruiting was X and it ended up being Y. Yeah. What lessons that you learned during that process yourself have you been able to lean on as you instruct the generation of student athletes that you're coaching now to mm. try to help them see the why when I guarantee you most of them still believe the X because yeah. the youth sports industrial complex has led them to believe that. How can you offer uh, a few very specific bullet points, let's call them, in regards to, hey, here's the perception and here's the reality. And this yeah. is something that as a coach, we need to be doing to help set our athletes up for success if that is a dream of theirs. Yeah, strategy, right? Strategy. I'll give it to you in terms of a track metaphor, right? If I'm talking to sprinters and you want to go faster, what you're going to do is will yourself to go faster and tell yourself effort. What that actually does in real time is make you slower. So speed is actually efficiency and moving in such a way that all of your body parts are aligned and pushing you towards the, the finish line, making maximum effort out of your energy. Breaking down the metaphor, when you're just blindly giving your all and going all out in all of your effort, you're not necessarily working towards a, a consistent goal. You're not necessarily getting to where you want to go to. I, I have a student who uh, will come to off-season football workouts, great, but then go to his in-season track workouts, eh, okay, and then go to another workout session with his out-of-school trainer for another workout at night. Okay, that's a lot now. So we're not talking about the demand on your body, right? This is the same kid who wants to go to all of the college workouts and showcases that he can possibly find. Again, strategy tells us that you don't need to get to all of them. You need to get in front of certain people, right? How are you communicating with certain people so that they know you're there when you show up and that you can actually uh, make contacts with them? How are you making mo the most out of the energy that you literally have so that you are giving your body time to recover and so that you're getting, giving your muscles time to actually build as opposed to just working the thing out? And what I learned and the advice that I would give is to make the most out of the effort that you're giving by attaching it to strategy of where you're trying to go because all, all too much anything will kill you. For sure. And I'm going to use that to springboard into what may come off as a soapbox of mine because it is. What is your take and your experience as a coach and as an athlete mm -hmm. for those that wish to play at the air quote next level, whatever that may be, mm -hmm. and the benefits and or drawbacks to being a multi-sport athlete versus a single sport athlete. Oh, that's huge. So talking about strategy again, right? To get to the next level, you need so many things to go right. And being a multi-sport athlete allows you to look through multiple perspectives, right? And so when you come back to whatever sport you're putting your most time and energy in or whatever sport you're choosing to pursue 
at that next level because I think at some point you do have to make a choice. Although there are the Deion Sanders of the world, the Bo Jacksons of the world who can do multiple. I think LeBron is one of those people if you really try to, but that's a different conversation. Specialization will come. But before you get there, being a multi-sport athlete is to me, let me backtrack. I think we use the term athlete a little bit too much. If you're a really good football player, but you can only play football, you're not an athlete to me. You're a football player. I think athlete is somebody that I can put into any sport, any uh, competitive environment and give them a couple of practices, but eventually they're going to be competitive in that quickly. And athletes are who we ultimately start to revere and really praise for what they can bring to the court because it's not any one thing. It's just how they approach the game, how they do everything. And I think playing multiple sports a lot is one of the only things that allows you to see through different perspectives and be better at your sport in like this real tangible kind of way. I love that answer for a variety of reasons, but specifically for the way in which you decide to define the word athlete, because I think you're right on in that sense that the more things that you try and participate in, you are building the muscle memory and other developing other ligature, even in your mind to see the game differently. So going from, let's say the basketball court to the swimming pool as a water polo player, you're going to see the game differently. Or if you grew up playing hockey and then you go and start playing basketball, you're going to see this whole idea of the hockey assist at a much greater level than someone that's only played basketball. So I think those things are super important. I appreciate you bringing that up. As you enter the world, the realm of coaching and your athletic career ended, all of ours do at some point, some by choice, some not by choice, but you got to that point and you are now coaching, right? You're now wearing the whistle instead of responding to it. What did you realize right away that you had to figure out? Mm. I had to figure out how to understand unathleticism. <laughs> I knew immediately what I wanted to happen. I knew how to do it. I knew how to show it. But I didn't understand what it was that made you see something I did and still do it wrong. I'm a cover two corner. My first job is to flatten out number one receiver. I can't let this guy go outside of me. So my body has to be a wall. I'm going to shadow his outside shoulder, and I'm going to make sure that he goes inside. No matter how many times I, I no matter how many different schools, no matter how many different teams I teach that lesson on, somebody at some point is going to get beat and covered too because the guy runs right outside of them and they didn't even touch him. So to me, it was like, I, I don't understand what you're not understanding. And it limited me as a coach because I could only coach the highest level of, of my team. Because mm -hmm. if you didn't understand it and if you couldn't already move in the way that I, I was seeing in my mind, then I don't know what you're doing wrong. And so it, what it made me do is realize that I had to understand the fundamentals in a different way, mm -hmm. not just so that I could do them, but so that I could explain them to somebody who had never interacted with them before. In addition to that, because you've always coached multiple sports, because you started as a boarding school teacher, what would you say you've learned both coaching and watching other disciplines mm -hmm. that you've been able to implement as you cross coach other sports? Do you have some specifics? And the intention of the question is, I think, 
we get locked in our echo chamber of sport. Mm-hmm. If we can expand our lens and our perspective, mm-hmm. there's a million different ways to do things that we probably haven't thought of because as a basketball coach, I'm probably not going to watch tennis to see how to become a better coach. But can you yeah. share some things you've learned both by coaching multiple sports and by watching them in ways in which it's helped you grow as a coach? Sure. I, I think I learned something every time I see somebody else coach, just in the way they build relationships with their players or maintain relationships with their players. But just to give you one very specific, tangible one, that first year that I was in boarding school, I go from football season to basketball season to track season. And in track, I very much expected to work with the sprinters because sprinting is what I did to what I know. So when I found myself coaching pole vaulters, it was a completely different thing. The best pole vaulter we had um, it was a girl by the name of Sophie. Shout out to Sophie, wherever she is in the world. She was an excellent pole vaulter who had just started pole vaulting within the past two or so years. I was the second coach that she had, and she had only really had two. And so I was trying to figure out how to work with her. One of the things that Sophie taught me, one of the things that coaching pole vault taught me and just different sports taught me was the importance of the relationship with the athletes. They will run through a wall for you as long as they know that you're on their side. And coming from a very stereotypical and traditional football background, it was always yell, yell, do this way, standards, standards right now kind of kind of energy. But in pole vault, it wasn't like that. It wasn't a team anymore. It was more of an individual sport. And further, it was a, a sport that I had females that I was coaching for the first time. I had never coached females before. We can get into the difference of male-female sports later, but One of the things that I learned from pole vault was that I got the most out of all of my athletes when I checked in with them first, right? When I checked in with them, explained to them what the plan was for the day and told them how we were going to go about it. I got so much more out of them than when I just steamrolled them and try to go to content, trying to get you wherever I'm trying to go. And so building better relationships and leaving space to hear how my athletes are doing was a huge one. In addition to your own experience, having to teach a new discipline, Mm -hmm. are there things that you've watched others do that you've tried to implement and either had failure or success that you could share that, hey, this is something great that none of us come up with anything very often, but hell, I didn't steal this from football. I stole it from baseball and I use it football every day. Yeah. Along the same vein of those relationships, I, I saw who was a legendary girls lacrosse coach before the game after the game and like regularly through practice she would do these circles and they would be sitting for 10 15 20 30 minutes at a time just building community like talking about what went what went wrong from this real place where the coach is sitting in the circle with them everybody seems like they have equal air time if they want it anybody can voice whatever they had and it was like incredible to see how she fostered that community and this team was winning. Now, I tried my own version of that. It doesn't work for me the same way it works for her just because of the way that she holds that space. Mm -hmm. But what I learned from that and the the nugget that I pulled from that is that they'll never never undervalue the moments that you give them to build connections, Mm -hmm. right? They won't always take advantage of it in the same way that you want them to take advantage of it. But there's something that's gained by just offering that space. Sometimes it's it can happen on a bus to going to somewhere. 
it can happen intentionally on the field, but when you set the intention for it, it yields better results. Absolutely. And I think often as coaches, and you've already spoken to this idea of you need to check in before you deliver content. And Mm -hmm. that's more of a teaching approach than a coaching approach. If we were to dig into the the minutia of those words, but those of us that have taken the moment to do that either collectively as a group or individually with athletes as they're doing warmups definitely allow for that growth. And you use the term holding space, which for those of you that aren't familiar is intentionally creating the opportunity to have whatever community or individual check-in that you need without thinking about the next thing that you need to be at. You're actually facilitating this area, this space for people to have these conversations, which is super important. I'm glad you brought that up. Can I give you one more point off of that? Please do. Holding that space is super important because it allows for you to be on the same page about what the problem is, right? I think as coaches, sometimes we jump to a solution that we see that we've worked on. I can be watching film trying to figure out how to shut down this one receiver. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I figure out a plan and I come to practice and say, okay, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to combo. We're going to, here's the the code word and all that stuff. That's a solution that I spent days working on. But if I can introduce them to the problem and show them that here's what the problem is, here's what we're trying to fix and help and let them walk with me through the, the stages of figuring out that problem. Or even if I, they don't walk through the stages, but they understand what the problem was, then when it comes time to implement the solution, they would never do something as silly as let this guy get a clean outside release because they understand that's exactly what causes them. And so just, I wanted to emphasize that point because that was something huge that I didn't understand that I was even doing at the beginning of my career. Well, Let's talk about that for a second. This idea of problems, Mm -hmm. solutions, and Mm -hmm. I'll add another one, dilemmas. In regards to a dilemma is something that has to be managed Mm -hmm. and a problem can be solved. What Mm -hmm. examples would you have of that as a coach? Let's say at your particular uh, institution, time and space and career relative Mm -hmm. to maybe a previous stop or others that you've seen that are unique to your situation. Mm -hmm. but that you've had to manage because you can't solve it and you have to take into account as you build your team versus problems that you can address that you can get air quote fixed and keep it moving. Do you have any examples of that, that you've had to figure out that has forced you to become better or different in your coaching? Sure. That's a, that's a good question. I coach lacrosse now for the first time, all the sports I've ever played, all the things I've ever done. This is the first time I'm coaching lacrosse. And lacrosse is a a fascinating sport. I actually love it a whole lot um, because it's like this combination of a bunch of other things, which lacrosse is probably older than those sports. So those sports actually pull from that, but that's a different conversation. Anyway, lacrosse practice, a lacrosse game and the way that my team is run, and it's not my team, I'm an assistant coach, but because of the way that the staff works, I feel like it is my team, which is what you want from your assistant coaches. It's more of a player run environment right? We count on the players to get practice started. We count on the players to lead certain drills and and things. And there's a lot of player agency. The dilemma in that is that players don't always know and don't always intentionally do what is best for them. 
sometimes they can know something is right, but eh, I don't necessarily want to do it. I know that I need to warm up before I start running and my hamstrings need to be stretched, but I'm just going to go through the motions on this just so I can get to the, the fun stuff. We had a, a game the other day. We actually won the game by about five, but according to our head coach, and I would have agreed with this, we should have won by it. So it was one of those times where, okay, you won, but we need to talk about what the lesson is from this. The message I gave to him and, and the management of the, this dilemma to me is that it's not a mistake what happens at the end of a week, right? It's the result of all the decisions that we make throughout the week. So when you make the decision to use your stick to do a sword fight, instead of going and picking up doing a ball hunt, that's a decision that you made that is showing up in the results of, and so it's always constantly these small decisions that we're making and you get to decide. Like this isn't, I don't get to play. Like I'd love to, right? I'd shave in a second to be out there with you all, but they're not going to let me. So this is going to be your team. So you get to decide what do you want this season to be, right? Once you decide what you want that season to be, make sure all of your actions line up with what that intention is and reminding them of that intention and holding them to a standard that I agree is important with them, right? Is important so that I can manage the, the, the dilemma, which can't be solved, which is the player dynamics. They have to want it themselves. If they don't want it, I can't want it for you, no matter how much I try. Yes. And that would be the same at probably every institution and with every team Yeah. in that if you can cultivate a way, and this is the dilemma, right? To have a player led group, yeah. you're always going to outperform the coach led group. But navigating and creating a culture where that is both allowed yeah. and it's functional and not dysfunctional is very complicated. And it's always, right, the, the golden ring that you're chasing to yeah. be great as a team. Yeah. And it's either catching lightning in the bottle or an intentional system that you've spent years developing. Right? Absolutely. Yes. And let's talk about that. In your role as a head coach at whatever level and in your role as an assistant coach, mm -hmm. what do you do that has the largest impact and ripple effect mm -hmm. on the culture you're trying to build that you just described Yeah, that you will take with you at whatever next coaching stop it is, be it the fall season or be it at a different school? Yeah, I'd say intentionality and having a plan, I think because of the implicit messages that come along with coaching in terms of it being second to academics and it being just all of the coaching roles that I've had have been stipended. So it's a stipend position. It's not necessarily part of your salary. Um, it leads you to saying that coaching is not prioritized in my list of things to do. So it's all about how much I want to do it. So as an assistant coach, and I'm, I hate to admit it, but sometimes as a head coach, when I was, particularly when I was younger, I would show up and we can figure out a practice plan. I know we need to run. I know we need to put up shots. I know we need to do a defensive drill and we can compete. Okay, let's figure that out on the fly. Now, the thing with being unintentional is that because I didn't have a plan in my head that I was working off, I couldn't communicate a plan to them so they couldn't know what to expect. And I, I, I would miss out on moments to build culture and to build community and to build a standard because I'm using that time to think about uh, what's coming next. What am I about to do next? How do I transition from one thing to the next? And what you're doing is um, you're utilizing all of your time, right? Because 
those transition times, they add up. Those insecure times, they add up. And the players see in you uncertainty. And when your players see uncertainty, when your players think you don't know what's going on, then they ad-lib in ways that they should not be ad-lib. And they leave you exposed in ways that you knew, but you didn't communicate because you weren't intentional about the design of your practices. And so you didn't have the, the latitude to instruct because you were instructing how to do a drill that you should have already set up. No, absolutely. And I think to your point, every one of us has had to show up in ad lib at some point, especially if you are a full-time teacher. But if that is your normal MO, it's not going to have the results that you want. And I like the idea of sharing that you don't just have to intentionally build activity into mm -hmm. your practices. You mm -hmm. have to have thematic goals you're trying to reach to a scaffold for over time that may or may not have anything to do with the sport you're actually coached. Behavioral right. standards, like you mentioned, right? How do you communicate? How do you interact with others? How do you show up as your best self? In the John Wooden era, how do you put your socks on? Whatever that might be is super important. If you don't think through those things, they end up biting you down the road. What would you say if you could offer perspective, not necessarily advice to others listening, of the difference between the head coaching role and the assistant role in a few bullet points for people that may be sliding over 18 inches to the left, either direction. Yeah. So the difference in, in head coach versus assistant coach is that the buck has to stop somewhere, mm -hmm. right? Where we are, I think the assistant coach, head coach relationship works best when the assistant coach feels a sense of ownership over the team and over instructing the team towards our common goal. So making sure that we're on the same page about what our goal is. Now, when it comes to how to get to that goal, that should be a collaborative process where you take in all the information that you can from people's experiences, from outside sources, from whatever you have, but ultimately you're going to have to commit to one path forward. Now, the head coach is the person that, that gets to make that decision. Everybody else gets a vote. It can be as much of a, a democracy as you'd like it to be. But at the end of the day, a decision has to be made for the sake of consistency for the team and, and actually executing whatever plan you're trying to get, get done, right? I was thinking as you were talking, it, the easiest way to summarize it is you go from a recommending body who is making suggestions mm -hmm. to making decisions. Yep. To making hard decisions too, and holding people to a standard. And I think just to be, to give you tangible tips, being ready to make that decision, but also being clear and communicating what roles people are responsible for and letting them sink or fail. I used to have, I had a head coach who as his assistant, he would give me a task, tell me to do it. But then when, if he felt like I wasn't going to do it or if he felt like it wasn't going to be done on time or any, if he felt anything, he would just do it himself to the point where I would do this work to have this thing done. But then he would have his own way of doing it that completely uh, overshadowed mine. I'm like, OK, I'm not going to do this thing because you're going to do it your way and we're going to have to go with your way. So I'll just wait till you do it and then we can go with it that way. Let's do that. Your assistant coaches have to be empowered because ultimately they are 
One, they have different relationships than you. They can feel different comments than you. They can say things differently than you, you can sometimes. And you absolutely need them to be 100% on the same page as you are if you're going to hit the, the success that you intend to. Absolutely. And I think the other funny thing about that, especially the part you just brought up at the end there was the idea of they're going to have different relationships. And earlier in the the journey of this pod in one of the first 10 episodes, one of my good buddies was like, oh, it's funny how the head coach's van is always empty and everybody rides in the assistant coach's vans when you go places. And it's right because ultimately the head coach has to make those tough decisions. And sometimes they're going to ruffle feathers and the kids need those other relationships to feel whole. And to your point, the coaches need their roles defined in the same way that we do for our athletes. And the more clarity in those roles, not just for them, but for the athletes who need to understand them, it's the same as if you paint a picture for all of your players, right? Hey, Jimmy, shoot as many threes as you want. You're not allowed to dribble, right? Whatever that might be, if everybody knows, now they can play with Jimmy and right. know exactly what to expect. Right. How would you? articulate in each of the sports you coach quickly what those roles might look like for assistant coaches? I don't think it changes too much by sport. I think it's just about specificity. And I think it's it has to do with knowing your weak points. My weak point is I have some organizational things that I'd love to be better at. I, I don't love fielding parent comments all the time, especially like in the heat of certain moments. I could task a, an assistant coach with any number of things. So your job is to make sure that we do our warm up that we do our warm up on game day. I need you to be in the box to take the first group out 10 minutes before, make sure the, the second group is out, right? However specific you can get. And, and I think the big point there is know what you're weak at, know what you are willing to commit yourself to, and know what you just have to do. There's some things you just have to do, but I don't think there's anything in particular that an assistant coach can or can't do for your team. Agreed. And I think it's, a journey to get to a place of confidence Mm -hmm. where you can delegate and let go of some things. And that's hard. And I think everybody gets there at their own pace, but it seems like the people that are both most fulfilled and least stressed out are the ones that have got to the point where they can get as much off of their plate as possible so that they can worry about the big picture of things. Which is a place that a lot of people don't get to because power dynamics and ego run rampant in coaching Mm -hmm. constantly. 100%. And on that note, let's do this. How has your approach to coaching changed over Mm -hmm. the years that allows you to make that statement? Mm. I think I've become more secure in the knowledge that I have and less trying to cover up for the knowledge that I don't have. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you when I don't know something, because I know that if it's something I need to figure out, I'm going to go figure it out. I know that it's something that you might have experience with. So I can just ask you a question and start getting answers and let you know that, hey, whenever you see me doing this thing, I'm doing it from a place of not having experience with it. So if you see me doing something wrong, please tell me something different, right? And that's no matter what position I have. When I was the head pole vault coach on on campus with the least pole vault experience, I had to humble myself to a point of fielding the the knowledge from the group 
that was there and available and ready to use and making the most out of it for the good of our team. That ultimately became my job so that I didn't get in the way of our team success because your team is going to take on your personality. Your team is going to take on your limitations. So if you're limited because you won't ask a question, you won't admit that you need help, then your team is going to show that in critical moments on the field. Yes, and to your point, getting to a place of security in what you do know and what you don't and being okay with that mm-hmm. is often hard from a standpoint of pride and ego. And yeah. pride and ego ultimately do more harm than good, especially as we try to empower and lead young people. Yeah, but it's a trip athletically because that pride and ego is more or less what got you to the stage that you ultimately got to. So if you were that D1 athlete, I talked to an Olympian one time and I was, I was so amazed that they had made it to like this peak of the mountain that I had never in my mind been to. But what drives them there is this dogged determination, this pride, this ego that says, yes, I can do this, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I can accomplish this, mm-hmm. which is necessary in one hand and a liability in the other so you need balance and i would imagine as you talk to the people at that level they all had coaching along the way so they were able to reach out and say i have the drive and the determination to do this but i need help yep 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 yeah all right let's wrap with this what is something and it doesn't have to be about coaching hell it can be in the classroom it can be you know, as you're exercising on your own, whatever realm you want to spin this into, but what is something that you have most recently changed your mind on? Mm -hmm. And it's more of a, for lack of a better word, a growth mindset question in regards to how do we constantly evolve into our better selves, but something Mm -hmm. that you can just think about and touch and be like, I used to be over here Mm -hmm. and now I'm over here and here's what. Yeah. Pacing. I think I've learned that, so running, right? You, you said it could be my personal workout, how I coach, how I teach. All of it is the same answer to me, but it came to me as I was running. Because pacing wise, if I sprint, I can sprint really hard for a hundred yards and be gassed by the end of it to the point where I need like minutes to recover. Like maybe even longer if you really pushed it. However, that's when I'm running at the fastest I can run. That's not a pace that I can keep up with. But if I run at the right pace, I can more or less run forever. Like Forrest Gump took off, but it wasn't because he was running super fast. He was running at an efficient pace. So if I can uh, maintain my form and run at such a pace that is comfortable for me and that is in line with my breath and in line with my stamina, then I can keep that going forever. What that changed for me, that taking that metaphor into teaching, into coaching, right? There's always something that you can be doing right now that keeps you in line with where you're trying to go. And it's not about pushing yourself to the very ends of your limits and being exhausted at the end because that exhaustion is now time that you take from yourself when you could be still preparing because now you have to recover. Now I have to take that time to recover. Whereas if I'm properly paced, I'm just always going. I'm just getting there. And you might get there faster, but I'm going to be so consistent that I'm going to catch up to you eventually. And I'm going to pass you because once I catch up to you, you're going to try to restart. I'm just going. And to the point where I'm not even so much considering my competition, 
I'm so focused on who, who I am, what I'm doing, and how I am preparing myself to get to where I need to go, that competition comes and goes, but I can stay consistent because I'm on my pace. Yeah, that's a great answer. And where it took me from a, a thought process was when we go into the gym and work out in the weight room, whatever it might be. It's funny because we'll be in there with the kids in the summer and they'll work so hard, they'll throw up. And it's like, how come you never do that? And it's like, I know how to pace myself. Like, <laughs> I know where the edge is. And you guys don't seem to get that yet. So it's like, last time I, I had that experience was probably 10 years ago for a very good reason. Hey. So. Throwing up there in a workout is a young man's game. Exactly. It doesn't mean we don't still work hard. We just know where to, we know where the line is. Anyway, coach, great, great having you on. Thanks for being here today. I know you're busy. You got to go teach a college class here in a few minutes, but I wanted to say thanks for jumping on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down an Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November. Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts.